Welcome to the Riverdale Writers' Room, a fan-made podcast where two girlfriends compete head-to-head to predict the series finale of Riverdale before it airs. Together, we will embark on a three-phase journey wherein we'll re-watch the series, write our own version of Season 7, and then compare our creations to the real deal. Is Riverdale truly unpredictably campy? Or can we successfully hack into the psyche of the writers? Join us as we try to conjure the spirits within the real Riverdale Writer's Room. There is no single way to tell a story. You're each to write your own version of the ending in whatever style you choose. Best story wins. Challenge accepted. Hello and welcome. Season 7, Episode 2 of Riverdale Predictions. It's good to be here. It's so good to be here. Um, So this episode should be shorter than the last predictions because that was predictions and also getting our bingo and all of that taken care of. Um, And now we're just giving our plot for the episodes that we are writing. So without further ado, season seven, episode two is titled Skip, Hop, and Thump. And um, the synopsis goes like this. The official one. Yes, the official one. We are writing based on what we've seen, based on the notes that we've already taken, and um, using this as kind of like a guide. So the official synopsis goes like this. Riverdale High's sock hop is around the corner, and Archie has a sight set on taking Veronica to the dance. Betty is confused when Kevin appears uninterested in taking things to the next level with her. Elsewhere, Jughead takes aim at Pep Comics, and Tony attempts to convince Cheryl to let Fangs perform at the sock hop. All right. Would you like to start us off? Again? Sure. You want me to start again? If you would like to. Um, well, part of me would like to, simply because I think yours is going to be better. It seems like you've <laughs> written a lot more. I wrote about 1,800 words. <laughs> That's so many words. I just did some character analysis. I was thinking about like their personal arcs throughout the series, like this final season and also within the episode. So there was a lot of like that kind of character work that I was writing down. The Holy Spirit of Riverdale was flowing through me for sure. Um, But all of that is not to say that this is going to be a good episode or let alone even an accurate one. Um, I just, I just had a lot to write. I was, uh, I had partaken in the devil's lettuce. So my ideas were really, um, flowing for sure. So I just had a lot to say. So you can go first if you want, but don't go first because you think mine is going to be better because I don't think it necessarily will be. Okay. We have two very different seasons, so. That's true. Would you like to go first then? Or would you like me to go? I'll go. I believe in you. Thank you. I've written this one in the chronological order that it was presented in the official synopsis. Okay. That's how I did it too. But I also wrote more in the same style that you did of like what will happen throughout the episode. Okay. So here's what I've got. Lay it on me. So this isn't really related to any plot. This is just a general opening. I predict that we will still get narration from a future omniscient Jughead in a past tense sort of way. Okay. I did notice in the last episode he was going past tense. So that's interesting. That's a good prediction. Mm -hmm. Solid start. I don't think they're going to change it. Jughead always narrates. Yeah, I agree. Okay, continue. All right, so plot A. This is the one where Archie wants to take Veronica to the dance. Here's what I've got. So Archie decides he wants to try and woo Veronica and take her to the dance. The sock hop, if you will. But uh uh-oh, Julian also wants to take her to the dance. So both boys are going to try to romance her, win her over, 
Julian with expensive gifts and Archie with a more homemade approach. You know, flowers picked from a nearby field, homemade cards, more sentimental types of gifts. And Veronica strings both of them along and she is going to make them compete for her date to the sock hop via a basketball competition. Which boy can shoot more hoops? Mm. Archie wins, of course. Naturally. So he gets to take her to the dance. Um, a little bit later, Smithers comes out of the water. Oh. <laughs> he is monitoring Veronica. He's the lodge informant. Okay. T. And he's there to watch over her because she killed James Dean. Ah, what? How did she kill James Dean? How did she kill James Dean? She drained his blood because she's a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) And so you think the car accident was staged, mayhaps? Maybe staged, maybe a result of too much blood loss Mm. to the head. Um, And I think that's why her mom called, worried that she had a boy alone. Not because she was going to, you know, do anything to besmirch her reputation, but Mm. because she was going to kill him. Wow. That's a little bold. I don't know that we're really going to go that route. I love that. So far, I like your A plot better than mine. Well, it's not over. Oh, my God. Keep going. (laughs) So... After Archie comes to pick up Ronnie in his hot rod at the Pembroke, they go to the sock hop. At the sock hop, at some point, Varchie is going to be separated in some kind of chaos. And within that chaos, Cheryl is going to see an opportunity here. She's going to see Veronica looking at her, and she's going to see Archie right in front of her. And she's going to go forward and kiss him for two reasons. Number one, and this is in plot deep, but I'll give it to you anyway. When Tony pulls Cheryl out to dance a little bit, she's going to feel like she needs to reassert her heterosexuality for any potential witnesses. So compet. And also to emotionally devastate Veronica. Of course. So it's a twofer for her. Easy decision. Okay. And because of that, Veronica's going to see she's going to be devastated. She's going to pull Julian closer. She's going to go with plan B. Got it. At the sock hop. (laughs) And then when Veronica is dancing with Julian, her eyes are going to turn completely black for a second. And (laughs) you're going to see a little thing. (laughs) Okay. I really hope they go Vampironico. I I would love to see Vampironica. If you couldn't tell, um, I'm doing something dark in every plot line, and -hmm. I don't think that's really how it's going to go, but I just want to predict something dark for each plot line in case, I don't know, I just want to get one of them right. Yeah. Because Roberta said that it was going to end with something dark happening. Okay, fair enough. So plot B is the Ketty plot, Betty and Kevin. They're Ketty? I thought they were Bevan. I don't know what they are. Are they Bevan? <laughs> I've been writing them as Bevan. <laughs> you were tagging posts as Ketty. You coined that term. Did I coin Ketty and I just abandoned it for Bevan? I do like Bevan. Okay, we could do Bevan. <laughs> well, either way. I feel like either one's fine. Continue. Okay. So plot B. The sock hop is coming up and Betty is waiting for Kevin to ask her. She keeps hinting at him to, you know, come up with a cute proposal or to help pay for tickets. I don't know. (laughs) And every time she brings it up, his eyes glaze over with disinterest. Um, Naturally. One time at lunch when the whole gang is in the student lounge and Kevin walks away for a minute Betty vents to everyone about Kevin not asking her. And Archie is like, just ask Kevin. Like, it's 1955, Betty Cooper. Women can ask people to dances. It's totally valid. He was so ahead of his time. He was. And 
So she asks Kevin to go, and he agrees. Later, as they're about to go to the dance, Alice sits down Kevin, tells them not to have sex for biblical reasons. (laughs) After the sock hop, she's worried about Betty because she's like, so curious mm-hmm. about sexual things interesting she's like eyeing everyone like a like a fresh piece of cake oh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and she says everyone is on the table everyone's on the table uh kevin's like of course not we're not gonna have sex don't worry alice <laughs> um they go to the sock hop they have a slow dance to the Tennessee Waltz. Mm. I'm predicting will be in this episode. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it'll be Unchained Melody and I'll still get that point. Yeah. Um, I'll go f- to your bingo. Yes. That's a big point. Well, it's not in my bingo. It I was. It was. In, it was in my first episode. Oh, okay. Well, you'll still get a point for that. Yeah. Okay. So Betty asks Kevin to sneak away from the sock hop with her. And she makes him drive out to that makeout point in Fox Forest where Midge and Moose got shot by the Black Hood. Naturally. And Betty tries to lay on the moves, but (laughs) Kevin says they should stop because he promised her mom he wouldn't have sex with her. (laughs) And he's a good man. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So she's frustrated by this and she's like, fine, Kevin, just like drive us home. As they drive away... Kevin makes eye contact with Clay, who is behind the tree getting a blowjob. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> by a man? Yeah, by a man. <gasps> An unnamed, unidentified man. It's going to be like, you know, back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Betty arrives at home disappointed, and she finds Polly sitting in an armchair in the living room freshly lobotomized by the sisters of quiet mercy whoa okay welcome polly i forgot to put a lobotomy in my bingo so i just wanted to get it in here (laughs) early is bed is polly credited on this episode do you know i don't think so i don't really know how to check that and i don't trust it either to be honest because they'll always hide chick in there that's true that's so true. Also, IMDb isn't even that accurate because um, Penelope Blossom wasn't listed as a credit in the first episode, and she was there. Yeah, so y- you can't listen. And some of the synopsis is a little misleading as well. They try to keep it vague on purpose. Mm-hmm. But I will see through. I will see through them. Move on to your next. So plot C... This is the Jughead going against Pep Comics. So, Jughead finds a comic in his train car featuring Archie and the gang called Pep Comics. Jughead opens the comic and finds a story about the gang at the sock hop when a man in a black hood arrives to stab everyone. So he's kind of going on this, like, campaign to prevent people from going to the sock hop or like just trying to figure out like what's gonna happen um because archie is like wow like jughead i'm so glad you're doing better i'm glad that you don't think we're from the future anymore and jughead's like wait i thought that (laughs) so he's gonna kind of go on this like weird adventure okay to try to prevent that stuff um and throughout this every once in a while there's going to be like an Easter egg of a 1955 inappropriate object. Oh. Maybe a product placement. Mm. Maybe Smart Pop White Cheddar Popcorn. I would love to see Smart Pop, Smart Food White Cheddar Popcorn. But maybe it'll be an iPhone. Maybe it'll be an iPhone playing Spotify. <laughs> that would be funny. Oh, Jughead's also going to try to find the identity of the Black Hood. Okay. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't remember. Um, So he goes to the sock hop. He's unable to convince everyone from going. And Ethel and Jughead share a nice dance. Okay. I think Ethelhead is going to have a moment here. Hmm. Um, Nothing happens at the sock hop, actually. Jughead's relieved. He's like, great. That comic meant nothing. 
But meanwhile, in a garage on Elm Street, Hal Cooper cleans up his latest murder from his car while Unholy by Kim Petras and Sam Smith plays. Oh my god. <laughs> Specifically the part where it's like, Mommy don't know daddy's getting hot in the body shop doing, <laughs> doing something, something unholy. Iconic. The first time I heard that song, I thought of him. Yeah. And I've been planning this scene ever since. Beautiful. I really hope they do it. I really hope they play like era non-specific music. I think that would really add a lot of like, especially campy feelings to it. I'm really hoping for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. We'll see. We'll see. Plot D. This is the Cheryl Fangs Tony plot. Mm Mm-hmm. So as class president, the planning of the sock hop is Cheryl's job. Naturally. She booked a small local band that canceled the week before. So she's freaking out. She's spiraling. She doesn't know what to do. Tony decides to advocate for Fangs to sing at the sock hop because of how much he enjoys his music at the White Worm. Mm-hmm. Cheryl is going to be concerned about hiring a prominent gang member to headline the sock hop. Yeah. And she's worried about what that would do to her reputation. Um, Tony reveals her serpent status and begins a week-long attempt of trying to expose Cheryl to serpent culture. Cheryl learns what we as an audience have known for years, that the serpents are a political activist community aid group. Yeah. And not a real criminal gang. The most illegal criminal gang activity they do is like, what, distribute weed? Come on. Even FP was like, it's just weed, bro. (laughs) Exactly. So Tony is going to get Cheryl's approval, who has also started to fall for her in the process. In the excitement at the sock hop, Tony's going to pull Cheryl out to dance. And Cheryl's going to dance for a little bit, freak out, go kiss Archie. Tony is going to be confused, but unable to shake the feeling that there was something going on there. Mm-hmm. Cheryl gets home from the dance to find Penelope sitting alone with another redhead, presumably Julian. As Cheryl approaches, the other boy is actually someone she's never seen before. Jason smiles up at her. Oh my god. <laughs> Hey, little sis. Stop. Stop. (laughs) And then Penelope is going to explain that he is the triplet brother the Blossoms gave up for adoption. And he has arrived to compete for the role of Antichrist. And all of the children must... um, All of the children must do dark deeds up to and including murder to earn the role... And only one Blossom triplet can survive. Oh my god. That's from Blossom 666. I didn't even really write that as an original plot. <laughs> I like that you're incorporating like some of the spinoff comics into your main plot. Vampironica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one. Blossom and 666. And that's Legends. my episode. That's all I've got. Okay. I think that's a great episode. Thank you. I would be so happy to watch that. We have some overlap. Okay. I think there are some things that are just like so obvious for the characters to be doing that it wouldn't make sense not to write it. And I think we both got some of those things. So um, we'll get started with my plot A, which is a little bit different from yours. So my plot A is not Archie and Veronica. My plot A is Riverdale High Sock Hop is around the corner. The sock hop in and of itself is going to be a plot point. It'll be like the vehicle through which the characters are going to discover something about themselves and each other and their relationships that's going to like complicate things, make them feel a little bit less innocent than they were, make them realize that things aren't so sunshiny. They're a little dark. Um... So something's going to happen through the sock hop that people are going to realize some sort of like depth to themselves and each other. 
this could be a lot of things, obviously, like sexuality, um, issues of race, misogyny, just kind of they're starting to confront the social norms that they've been presented their whole lives with. So keep that in mind. Plot A really comes in at the end. So it's really like a plot E, but since it's up front, it's A. Then we get plot B. Archie and Veronica and the sock hop. So I have that Archie gets ahead of the whole debacle with Julian and asks her really early on in the episode. She was so taken with him at their last date. She's curious about him. They obviously come from very different worlds, um, different social classes. Archie's very like blue collar, very like down to earth, like country boy. He goes fishing for fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Veronica is very ritzy, glamorous, one percenty. She has generational wealth and will never even begin to know what it's like to come from a blue collar family and have to like work and have both parents have to work to first for your survival so that's going to become very apparent within their relationship at first they're like happy very drawn to each other um archie catches her outside the school as they're walking in asks her right away like hey i know the saw cop's coming up would you like to be my date? He brings her like some flowers. He does the whole thing, like a whole like ambush before Julian can even get a chance. And she accepts. She doesn't even think about Julian because his offer was so isolated. <laughs> Julian wasn't even there. Um, so she accepts and they plan to go to Pops before the sock hop. A pre-sock hop Pops, if you will. After this moment, they're not really going to interact alone until the sock hop, until the until Pops at the sock hop. They're going to have like little appearances together in some of the other plot lines or group scenes. They're going to maybe have like slight romantic eye contact or a brushing of their hands, like little touchy moments, but in a group setting. They're not going to be alone together until Pops before the sock hop. Once they are at Pops before the sock hop, they'll find out that kind of like that awkwardness of their first date is still lingering. They chalked it up to first date jitters, but they're starting to realize that they are just like from fundamentally different worlds. Like the values of the class that Veronica has come from are very different than the values of Archie's class. And this becomes painfully apparent to Archie as a red flag when Veronica makes a less than cute comment about service workers. Oh. Maybe someone spills a milkshake at their table, gets on Veronica's dress. She's like, ugh, people need to learn how to do their jobs or something. Something gross and something like privileged and like she's clearly never had a job like that and never will. And so he's going to be like, it was an accident, like chill (laughs) she's just doing her job or they the server is just doing their job (laughs) the server is (laughs) non-binary you You never know in the 50s (laughs) um and bonus points if it's directed at pop himself archie would get so defensive of pop i feel like more than just any old server do you think it's pop or do you think it's Titus Pop. Like, is it Titus or is it Terrence? Hmm. Titus is the one where Tabitha went back in time and he was like Pop's either father or grandfather. I think it'll be Pop himself. Because when she was there during like um, the murder of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., it was Pop, right? Mm, at some point it was Titus. I don't know if that was the sundown. I think that was the sundown. Okay. And then the MLK was pop. Okay. I believe. I don't know. MLK was uh, like a decade after this, though. That's true. But if they had the adult actor, not like the young pop actor, it would make sense for it to be pop. Uh, uh, Whatever. This doesn't matter. 
it's gonna either be like the pop the person who owns and runs the diner or a server okay um it'll be bonus points if it is pop or his father or whichever person who runs whoever whichever member of the family owns the business bonus points if it's one of them because archie will naturally be more defensive of them that's the whole point um so she notices that he doesn't take too well to her comment and then it's like she at the dance later she reveals during a slow dance that she is trying to get better trying to be better there are just like so many things that she hasn't confronted about herself um and her privilege before moving here and now like in spite of her parental neglect she wants to be a better person and so she apologizes to archie and promises to do better they have a cute varchie moment but later something happens at the dance that makes him see her in a different light Ooh. so then we go to plot c so plot c is betty and kevin Bevan, Ketty, whichever. And they also agree early on to go to the sock, sock hop together. But naturally, Betty's the one doing all of like the physical and emotional initiation in their relationship. Um, so she has to prompt him a lot. Um, and just she, while she's on the verge of asking him, he cuts her off and asks her himself in a very like half-hearted, trying to save face, still be the macho man like, I think he's very, like, internally confronting stuff about his homosexuality and also, like, his gender identity. I think he wants to be, like, hypermask and, like, do all the things that men are supposed to do, quote unquote, including asking his girlfriend to the, to the dance. And so he cuts her off before she can take that from him, selfishly. I think at this point, he's already had several sexual encounters with men in Fox Forest. And I think he's confused about it because at first it might have started off innocently, like him and his friends just like naked in the pool together as like little children. Bros helping bros. Bros helping bros, you know, like little kids like accidentally exploring sexual things, kind of. Um, But then it's just become like, an obsession for him or he views it as like some sort of compulsion something like bad even though it's not he just has been viewing it that way because of his social conditioning and it's just like this compulsion of his to like go to fox forest and hook up with men and he also recently connected with clay after the reading of the poem of emmett till they had a chance to like get to know each other they ran into each other at like the library or like I don't know, maybe after practice at Pops, started talking to each other and became friends. Nothing has happened between them yet, but there's something in the air. And then when Clay asks Tony to the dance, Kevin is surprised when he feels jealous um, of Tony. And then Betty, on the other hand, is discovering her own sexuality. She's coming to terms with like how strong her urges are even though she's in a time where like women aren't supposed to have sexual desire or a sexual agency. So she thinks she's like bad because of this like illicit craving (laughs) that she has. Um, She's also like really insecure and unconfident. She's like the girl next door. Her boyfriend seems uninterested in her, but they uh, outwardly seem perfect together. But she's like dealing with the imperfection of it. So at some point, like mid episode, Archie comes over and is like, Betty, Veronica accepted my offer to go to the sock hop, but I don't know how to dance. And so <laughs> he asks her for pointers. This is where we get the scene where they're dancing in her bedroom. Oh, that's cute. She's teaching him how to dance. They're, ha- they're having a little bestie moment. It's really cute. Um, some barchi for the, for the people. And then things get like, once they are done, they're like sitting on her bed or like, lying down next to each other or whatever and things get like a little bit more personal she reveals to him that things are not going well with Kevin and she's like I don't know I think I'm just like maybe really bad at kissing because he never wants to like do more and then he's like I don't think anyone can be bad at kissing and then she's like I don't know and then he's like 
has a moment where he's trying to give her a pep talk, but because of their physical closeness, it comes across as like, Betty, you're great. You can do anything. You're so beautiful and smart and talented. And they catch each other by surprise when they kiss. Oh. It's like a heat of the moment kind of thing. And then when they pull away, they're still close. He's like, yeah, you don't have anything to worry about. You're not the problem. <laughs> you kind of stealing my idea with the practicing it, for other people. It was. I, it's not like a practicing for other people. It was like a heat of the moment attraction. You know what? It it always is a heat of the moment attraction for them. So exactly. This happened several times, at least twice, <laughs> in the last like in the future plot. So it only makes sense for it to happen again. They were both obviously into it. They're both obviously turned on. Archie is like, um, yeah, anyway. Um, and, and they're both like awkward afterwards, like distant. And they're like, hmm, okay. <laughs> um, and then they kind of like non-verbally agree to never talk about it. <laughs> wow. And so Archie leaves Betty is confused. Um, come to uh, cuts later. We don't see them again until dinner before the sock hop. Kevin comes over to Betty's house. They eat with Hal and Alice. They both ask like really invasive parental questions being like, now you're not having sex, are you? Very similarly to like what you <laughs> what you came up with. Um, all of their questions are very like soaked in like misogyny homophobia like religious dogma yeah i don't know if i said this out loud but i wrote down four biblical reasons you did i did okay mm-hmm. good i kind of have it implied that it's like they have a certain world view that there are specific roles and specific rules and they can't break them or else bad things will happen including having sex that's off the table um and kevin is just like yeah no i have so much respect for your daughter i wouldn't want to ruin her i wouldn't want to bring any shame to ourselves and your our family is like we are the perfect model little heterosexual couple and we're celibate and then betty's like okay (laughs) like she doesn't want to be yeah she does not want to be celibate no she wants her cherry popped. <laughs> she's just horny, and that's fine. But she does she because she's in this world. She doesn't feel like it is fine. Um, so then, like during a tense kind of silent moment where everyone's like making eye contact and it's like awkward, it cuts to like commercial or a different scene or something, and then we don't see Bev and Ketty again until the sock up. Plot D. Oh, you're saving the sock hop till the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's like a convergence moment. So Jughead, as mu- now that he's forgotten, he's um, kind of back to being a loner, a weirdo. He's weird. He's, he doesn't fit in and he doesn't want to fit in. Except that he gets a ticket to the dance anyway. So it's a facade, the whole thing. But he's also still confused because he found the beanie he found Ben towards justice. He doesn't really know what to make of it. So he starts going around and asking his friends. He starts with like pretty much everyone and then gets to Archie. Everyone's just like, okay, Jughead, more of this. You're silly. Uh." And then once he gets to Archie, Archie, who is fresh off of asking Veronica to the dance and getting her, yes. So he's on like this high to be pulled aside by Jughead and asked questions about like this weird conspiracy, it triggers him. <gasps> Archie gets pissed off. Not like triggers his memory, but like triggers his anger. He is like, Jughead, enough of this crazy talk. You gotta stop this shit. It's not funny. It's not cool. You're not interesting for having a conspiracy. Just be fucking normal for once. Oh. They kind of have like a tense moment and like the kindness that he had for Jughead in like their last confrontation is kind of like reached its limit. 
Um, so they kind of have like a tense moment and Jughead's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think that we're from the future. He has a moment where he's just like, I never had those thoughts. We never had that conversation. And so that gives him more to investigate. So after this moment, Jughead is like, okay, well, I can't be so obvious about my questioning. So he gets a ticket to the dance. He plans to use the dance as a time to like suss out his friends, his like teachers and uh, the staff of the school, the parents. He's trying to like find out who knows what and who could have planted the beanie, who could have planted the note because he doesn't think he he knows he wrote it. He doesn't think he doesn't know anything. So in his investigation, he'll do lots of quirky little things like dig through junk in his house where he'll find the Pep comic. He'll do research at the library about Pep comics. You will see him at Pops with like stacks of comic books. And Archie is like, "Okay, you're kind of back to normal. Good. Keep up this specific behavior. Be the old jughead who eats lots of hamburgers and reads lots of comics. Be normal. So things kind of mellow down a little bit as he's doing his like quirky little investigations, trying to be more subtle about things. And then we'll catch up with him at the dance. Plot E is Shoney featuring Fangs. Um, Cheryl is the student class president and also the head of the events committee. Um, so therefore she is planning the sock hop and she's kind of like throwing herself into this work because to distract herself from not having a date because she knows she's not going to get a date because she's never had a date to a dance. Oh, but she's the most popular girl in school, but also the most intimidating. Okay, fair. None of the guys want to ask her because she's like so scary. (laughs) Archie even said nobody takes Cheryl seriously. So, like, she's kind of dealing with that, masking her insecurity with more drama and intensity. And so when she's selling tickets to the dance and Tony tries, or Veronica tries to buy one, she gets in a comment about how, like, losers not allowed or some shit like that. Or, like, something about harlots. I don't know. She's going to make a Snyder market of Veronica. Um, and then she's going to do um, little interactions with characters, like, telling Bevan to stop making out in the school hallway so that she can hang up a banner, silly things like that, making a joke at Jughead for being poor, you know, normal Cheryl things. Uh, (laughs) um, Tony's also on the committee, though, and um, makes a suggestion to hire Fangs, the popular crooner who performs at the White Worm and all kinds of other places across town. Um, that they get him to be the live music for the dance. Cheryl is upset about how popular and well-received this idea is and that it wasn't her idea. Um, So she vetoes it and she's like, I'll be the performer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so she's like, obviously it'll be me with backup from the River Vixens. And so that's what she plans. And then Tony ambushes her several times without success, trying to get Fangs to be the performer. Eventually, she does get Cheryl to listen to Fangs and hear him perform during a surprise performance at Pops. He, um, they ambush Cheryl while she's there with Julian, having like a twin sexual dinner date. And Fangs performs and she's like, okay, fine, he's actually good. He can perform on one condition. You, Tony has to be... Julian's date to the dance. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Weird. Because he obviously didn't get a shot at asking Veronica. And so they were like trying to figure out what they can do for him to make him like stay popular, have like a date. He can't go by himself. He's Julian Blossom. So she, she Tony agrees. She's like, fine. I was already asked by Clay. So I'll have to let him down easily. I'll go with Julian for the sake of fangs. Serpents come first. Clay understands. He's like, the serpents are your family. He kn- he implies something about family between fangs and Tony. So he understands and lets it, lets it go. But he's by himself now at the, da- at the dance. 
So in this episode, they're kind of both exploring their sexualities. Tony already knows she's not straight, but hasn't figured out the word bisexuality. Cheryl's been repressing her queerness for years. I think the stuff with Heather is canon still. Um, Like Heather was like too close of a friend in middle school. And yeah, that's the end of theirs until the dance. So now we reconverge with our plot A. Oh, thank God. Give (laughs) give me the dance information. I will. There was a lot of like important character. You see, you see what I mean now? Yeah. It was a kind of character analysis. I like the idea of convergence at a dance. I did consider something going on at the dance a la the prom that Mm -hmm. one year, but I couldn't figure out what it would be, so I didn't. Well, let me tell you what it could be. All right. So (laughs) at the end of the episode, the sock hop arc will finally reach its conclusion. The gang are all present at the sock hop in their pairings, or longingly staring at their secret lovers from the corners of of the dance, of the gym. Everyone's like dancing and having fun or being sad about not having fun and dancing. Jughead is skulking like a wallflower when he notices at the back of the room one Dilton Doily looking suspicious as fuck. And looking around wildly at the room, trying to, like, make sense of something. Jughead immediately knows he has to go find him and have a conversation with him. Um, But right that moment, Fang starts his performance. And then the crowd erupts into chaos because everyone is so excited. Um, And so he loses him in the crowd. Varchi are dancing, kind of a little bit distant. You know, things are a little awkward. The same thing with, with Bevan. Tony and Cheryl are like watching from like the back of the room. Tony's being like, you see, I told you he was a great performer. And Cheryl is like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then looks sad because she doesn't have a date and has no one to dance with. Tony sees Julian pulling her over and Tony grabs Cheryl's hand and says, come on, come dance with us and pulls her into the crowd to go dance with Julian. So they had like a cute little moment there. I think they like will say something and like connect on a way. It'll be a cute showing moment. Um, And then while all of this is happening, Dilton is like running from Jughead, trying to hide. And also like while the like the dancing is happening, the characters are having their conversations like Betty's being like sultry to Kevin, trying to be like, what if we like drove out to make out peak tonight <laughs> etc they're like Ar- archie's being a little awkward because he's hiding that he kissed betty veronica is still trying to make up for being a bitch about service workers and there, there's like a lot of drama they're having their little conversations but meanwhile dilton is trying to hide from jughead jughead finally finds him in the av room ab- above the gym and the door is locked. So while he's trying to open it, he can see through the little window that Dilton is like fiddling with some technology, unplugging things. The sound down below goes quiet. All the lights turn off on the dance floor. By the time Jughead opens the door, Dilton has started playing a film on the screen behind on the stage. It's being projected. It's not just any film. It's a film in the style of the voyeur of the regular plot. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it's one we haven't seen before, though. It's not like an artifact that has made its way across the timeline in time travel. It's one that Dilton has, like, made, basically. And it features um, secrets of all of the group, all, the whole gang. Um, so it shows... On a loop, Archie kissing Betty um, with, the, with the cartoon masks and everything. And then it shows Kevin and Clay making out. And then it shows Cheryl and her friend Heather kissing and like being lesbians. It shows Tony and Fangs with their baby, infant baby Anthony. A secret that nobody knows that they have a child. It shows them with their child. Baby Anthony is here? Baby Anthony is here. Wow. As a baby. As a baby. Not as grown up. No. Wow. But 
this is all still like the voyeur loop. And then it shows finally at the end, Veronica cutting the brakes of James Dean's car. <laughs> Why do we both have Veronica kill James Dean? I don't know. <laughs> Either if, if she sucked his blood until he died or she cut the brakes on his car, she killed him. And we both have that. And then so this happens and the whole crowd is shocked. And then we cut to commercial. Or she, well, before we cut to commercial, Jacket is like, Dilton, what have you done? And then we cut to commercial. When we come back, everyone is like, has already left. Everyone's kind of like confronting themselves and each other, trying to make sense of what they saw in the video. Bevan is in Betty's car because naturally Betty would be the one to drive. <laughs> Kevin is the passenger princess in their relationship. Stop. <laughs> Think about it. She's like basically a mechanic. Why wouldn't she have the car? That's fair, but I don't know. I thought Kevin would just drive anyway. I think that's part of his issue with his masculinity is that he's not the one who drives. And that's upsetting for him because it's like emasculating that she's the one who's got the know-how about cars and mechanics. He doesn't know how to drive? I think she just prefers driving because she has a cooler car. Okay. He probably knows how to drive, but maybe he doesn't have a car. Or okay. he has to drive the cop car around. The cop car? <laughs> his dad's cruiser. <laughs> why would his dad let him drive his cruiser? He wouldn't. And have that's why seen- Betty drives. <laughs> so he's the passenger princess and he hates it. But they're in her car... They're parked at like the makeout point. Um, so they went there anyway. And then Betty and Kevin are just sitting there like they're asking if she's asking him if what she they saw was true, if that was based on anything real. And Kevin is beside himself, but he eventually he eventually tells her that, yes, it is. It is true. I have been kissing other boys this whole time. He doesn't say that he's been with Clay. I think that is like something that he wishes, but he reveals like, yeah, I've uh, met with men in Fox Forest, but he tells her that he thinks he's sick and that it's a compulsion and he's seeking treatment and will be okay soon. He's he's telling her that he's going to get better and that it's just like a, a problem that he has. So Betty is confused about this and obviously hurt. And then they drive home in silence. Then we see Archie on the steps of the school. Veronica comes out and tries to explain what was on the movie, but Archie doesn't want to hear it. He thought she had told him the truth when she said that she was just like there. And he was impressed by her bravery and honesty in that moment and thought that she was really like one person. But she's obviously not that person if she could do something so dark as to cut somebody's brakes. And he doesn't want to be with someone capable of so much darkness. And so he walks away into the night. Then we see Shoni talking inside as they're left alone to clean up the mess of the dance. None of the rest of the committee have lingered because of the tension in the air, obviously. Um, <laughs> so eventually Tony tells her, like, it's okay if that clip of her and Heather was real or based on something that might have actually happened between them. She says that lots of people feel those feelings, herself included, and it's not as sinful or unnatural or wrong as people think. It's normal, and it's wholesome, and it can be love between two women. And Cheryl's like, I don't know what you think you saw. Somebody is obviously trying to, like, I don't know, tell lies about me, and she's just denying, denying, denying. Um, But later, we see her at home in bed, crying clutching a photo of heather oh so we know that cheryl is really just repressing a lot and she leaves in a storm leaving tony by herself and then we see tony go home she's like the last one at the dance so when she gets home to her like little apartment you can tell that they she lives with a family and then she goes into the bedroom where we see fangs already in bed and baby Anthony in his crib asleep next to the bed. And so we get the reveal that she's a teen mom and also in a gang. And Fangs is the father. 
And so they're living together in secret. <laughs> and he's like working as a crooner to support their little family while they're living with one of their families. I hate that you brought Tangs into the 50s. I know. As much as I hate Tangs, I really do. I <laughs> It just made sense in the moment. Okay. I don't know why I did it. I'm really sorry for it. Thank you for your apology. I know it's awful. <laughs> it does make the rest of your plot work very nicely. Right? So. It clicks. It makes it connect. Um, and then finally, we see Jughead and Dilton debriefing. Dilton reveals that he knows everything about the future. He knows that they were in the future. Of course he would. Of course it would be Dilton, right? Or Ethel. Or Ethel. Yeah. Yeah. This could be interchanged with Ethel. If, it, if Dilton's not in this, if this is, F, if Ethel does any of Dilton's tasks, it would make sense. I was, th- I was between them, but I was like, no, it would be Dilton before it would be Ethel. So he reveals to Jughead, tells him that they're from the future. None of this is supposed to happen. He shows him a device, a technological device. An iPhone? Uh, not an iPhone. I think it's like an iPod or something. Okay. He, or like a tablet. I didn't put which specific device. He shows him a technological device that's obviously not from this time. And he's like, tell me what this is if we're not from the future. How do you explain this from a 1955 standpoint? And Jughead's like, I can't. But how can I also believe that we're from the future? He's also still reeling from what he saw, right? Like all of a sudden half of his friends are gay. Like (laughs) one of them is a mom. (laughs) Like some of them are hooking up with each other in pairings that are not apparent. The feeling when half your friends are gay and you know you're next. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jarchi. Jarchi is coming. And so he's like reeling with that. So then he goes home and helps himself to a little can of beans <laughs> on the couch <laughs> we're obsessed with that shot i'm so obsessed with it there's a stack of comics i think he's going through reading them trying to find more evidence to back up the future um because he goes after the pep comics i think he knows that there's something in them in this episode i don't think he really finds anything specific i do think he'll like get a sense for something in the comics so he's eating his little can of beans he's reading his comics when um angel tabitha once again (laughs) appears before him and reveals that she's discovered one of the rules of their universe is that someone of their time travel is that someone has to be aware no matter if she takes away dilton's memory it'll randomly go to someone else and it'll just keep doing that if she takes away their memory. No matter what, one person in their universe is going to know that they're from the future. And she doesn't trust anybody's instincts other than Jughead's. She doesn't think anyone else could handle it. So she bestows memory once again upon Jughead. Meanwhile, it disappears from Dilton's mind as she kisses it back into Jughead. Sorry, Tabitha, you have to kiss him again. <laughs> um... And so then he remembers, and that's the end of the episode. That was beautiful. Thank you. I really liked yours. This was very good. If this isn't what it is, this is what it should be. (laughs) We'll see what it actually is. We should get you into that writer's room. Please, if anybody knows anybody who works on Riverdale, can you connect us with them? (laughs) They're still writing it, so come on. We've got ideas. We've got ideas. Listen to our pod. We got lots of ideas. Let us help you. <laughs> you clearly need it. <laughs> We're so happy to have discussions about any possible future. We have lots of ideas. We've got musicals. We've got song ideas. There's one song that I really want to include. It hasn't happened the right moment yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a song that's been kind of treading on tiktok lately Ooh. but it's a song in spanish it's called soledad y el mar soledad. oh i know that one yeah yeah you know that one right mm-hmm. it's it's been all over but it's a good song and i don't know it's like a modern song but it has like folksy kind of influence and i think it would be great 
Definitely possible. I feel like with how many episodes there are and how many times they like to play new songs, they're mm-hmm. going to run out. They need to do some modern stuff soon. Yeah, exactly. Or at least some technically not correct 50s, like some yeah. older 50s at the very least. Mm-hmm. Or like later 50s music that That's hasn't come out I said. You said older 50s. Yeah, like older 50s. Oh, I meant like later. Oh, okay. I said older, I meant later. Okay. <laughs> or even some stuff from like the 40s that is like not correct for their era but still has the same sound mm-hmm. like older or newer stuff that has the same sound okay yeah before we go we need to award some awards that we forgot we do episode. also an, an update mm-hmm. i did get an additional half a point we rewatched the episode <laughs> um <laughs> and jughead in his voiceover wonders if they are just back in time or if they're in the past of an alternate universe which is almost like verbatim what i wrote so i gave myself half a point and katie agreed to it so if if one of us gets something really good that's going to be worth multiple points i think for i think for smaller things it's like a half a point or like a one point yeah but like if if veronica did kill james dean either as vampire Veronica or by cutting his brakes. Like if one of our specific methods of murder of James Dean are correct, that's like five points. Yeah. <laughs> Even if she just killed him and neither of our methods were correct, I think that's at least two. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, who was your HBIC of Don't Worry Darling? Episode one. My HBIC of Don't Worry Darling was Veronica Lodge. HBIC. HBIC. Head bitch in chaos. Wow. For her shocking entrance, for her ability to stir up drama between the twins, between Archie and Julian between herself and Cheryl and I feel like just generally having like a chaotic presence it has to be Veronica wow who was your HBIC of don't worry darling my HBIC of don't worry darling was Tony HBIC HBIC Head bitch in chaos. Yay! Tony, she was just the head bitch this episode. She was like, not discouraged by anyone. She was like, this is how things are gonna be. Cheryl's gonna make up for her parents' cowardice. Mm -hmm. She was just kind of that bitch. You're so right. I did think about having one of them either her, Betty, or Tabitha for that plot, um, be the HBIC, or Jughead was my other contender. Yeah, those are all things I was thinking about, too. But ultimately, I picked Veronica because she was, like, kind of the center of multiple plot lines. I, you already said your KO moment. Yeah. (laughs) What was it again? It was them panning to julian when they were talking about the river, <laughs> the river. <laughs> yeah um, my ko moment is tabitha being written out of the season <laughs> K-O. yeah justice for tabitha justice for tabitha how are they in the same episode gonna be like we care about about black lives and telling the truth about violence against black people but one of our prominent black characters bye bye <laughs> like how could they do that in the same episode that felt so fucked up yeah exactly that's exactly why it's my ko thank you you're very welcome thank you for bringing light to it do you have anything for a sexy moment the sexy moments in this era i feel like are going to be have to they're going to have to be a little bit more implicit i know yeah um i think 
my sexy moment um, of that episode because it was so clear what was going on in their head and the thoughts they were having about this revelation has to go to Kevin hearing that James Dean was bisexual. (laughs) 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 You could tell his mind was just like racing with images, like just the idea that James Dean could have been sexual with a man. You could tell he was like salivating, just imagining it. Yeah. So I guess that's my, <laughs> that's my moment. If I thought he hit the actor. I thought Casey caught really like played the like, oh, like really well. <laughs> my 50s fantasy moment. Ooh, I like that. This, I think we should just call it the 50s fantasy. Okay. From here on out. From here on out. Unless you have other creative ideas. We'll see I don't know if I can come up with 22 of them. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> At least while they're in the 50s, it's their 50s fantasy. Okay, yeah. The 50s fantasy moment was Tony looking over at Cheryl with like a little side eye, but a sexy side eye. Not a bombastic side eye. <laughs> oh, lateral bombastico. <laughs> Not a bombastic one, though. No. Just oh, lateral. Yeah. Sexy. Sexy. Version. Cute. I think it was when they were talking to Featherhead after the poem. I'm not sure. It's a clip that's been shown a lot on Twitter since then. Mm. It's not even something I noticed watching. The Shonies really like took it over. Yeah, the Shonies were like, we will find the tiniest clips. A little crumb. We'll find a little crumb and we'll retweet it. Good for them. <laughs> so I think that that's it for now. Any other point count updates or final predictions? Hmm. I think I've said everything I wanted to say. Okay. For now. Nothing else you need to get on the record? No, I don't think all of my stuff will happen. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think, think all of mine will either. I think it's a little too chaotic for what it appears we're doing all of a sudden. So, What do you think it appears we're doing all of a sudden? It appears we're starting over to get higher ratings and to write a calmer yeah. plot. I've been really frustrated with the ads that are like, no need to rewatch like, or no need to catch up just it's a fresh start it's like how is it supposed to be in continuity if it's a fresh start i don't like it i don't like it either how are you supposed to know anything about the tabitha situation if you don't catch up the thing i love about riverdale is how convoluted it is yeah (laughs) exactly that's what like feeds my soul Mm -hmm. like i love how many things happen in the span of 60 seconds like if you watch a minute of this show, most of the time, you have to have at least seen five different episodes to understand the context. Yeah. I will say that I will be happy if there's any hint of something going a little crazy in episode two. Like any mention of the future, no matter how small. Yeah. I'll be happy. I agree. But if there's not, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> They're going to have to give me like a lot of Shoney. They're going to have to give me like a lot of really like hyper innocent, like back to season one teen innocent moments that we talked about in earlier rewatches. Like where Jughead is like, I just really like you and I just want to kiss you. But Betty was like, my sister is missing like i don't have time for a relationship like stuff like that like really cute teenage moments they're either gonna have to like lean super heavily into that including shoney moments or they're gonna have to give me something about the future like for me to not be upset (laughs) we'll see 
Okay. I'm sure whatever they're going to give us is going to be great. As long as they're not giving into the ratings too much. Yeah. Well, here's to hoping. Here's to hoping. See you all later this week for our recap of Skip Jump Thump. Skip Hop and Thump. Skip Hop Thump. Mm-hmm. The Skip Thump hop being the auteur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. See you later. Bye-bye now. Special thanks to Ben Chatwin for the iconic intro music. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Riverdale Writers Pod on all social media platforms. If you are at all involved with the production of Riverdale or just want to say hi, email us at RiverdaleWritersPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. TTFN!